Dr. Geneva Speaks. Thank you for tuning in to Dr. Geneva Speaks, where you'll hear amazing leaders from across the nation and around the world. Your host, Dr. Geneva Williams, a cutting-edge, transformational leadership coach, hopes and believes this show will enlighten, entertain, and inspire you to make a difference in the world. So listen up as Dr. Geneva Speaks. Hi there, everyone. Welcome again, once again, once again, to a delightful, delightful conversation among leaders about leadership. This is Dr. Geneva, and I'm so happy to have you with us again today. And it's Black History Month, but as you know, every month, every show, we always talk to leaders, look into the heads and hearts of leaders and the greater purpose they inspire in others. I'm so glad you joined me again today because uh, it's so important to think about and explore leadership from the perspective of today's CEOs of corporations, presidents of nonprofits, and just about chief of everything entrepreneurs who are truly leading their market. And as you know, we've talked with leaders from around the country, from all different works of life, and and folk who are really having an impact on the community. And it's always my hope that this show will ignite your soul and have you look at life and leadership through an entirely different prism. I'm hoping that you'll continue to discover the obstacles that leaders face as you hear their story, the failures, how they bounce back from adversity, and how what really makes them tick, and sometimes what ticks them off. It's really, sometimes it's true that today's leadership is tough and sometimes can feel lonely, but it's my hope that this podcast can refresh you, guide you, and inspire you on your journey to greater purpose. Now, I'm going to tell you, I've had a lot of different guests, as you know, we've We've done, we're going, I'm going into my second year. I've talked to close to 60 different leaders from all over the country. Well, today I'm going to bring you someone who I think is truly, truly special, uh, someone who is a legend in his own time because, and, and one of the reasons I say that is because He's combined the art of doing business with the art of social change. In fact, he's often referred to as the activist entrepreneur, and I'm talking about uh, the one and only Walt Douglas, who's chairman and majority stockholder of Avis Ford, an automobile, automobile dealership in Southfield, Michigan, Black Enterprise Magazine named Avis Ford its National Dealer of the Year in 2010, and Avis Ford ranks among the top 50 Ford dealerships nationally. And, you know, even though this man I bring you today, Walt Douglas, uh, came from humble roots in North Carolina to a central role in Detroit politics, as the president of New Detroit, and you'll hear a little bit about that, but it's one of the nation's first urban coalition organizations. And then he became uh, 
co-owner of Avis Ford, and he, that's a fabulous uh, story in itself. And his book, The Activist Entrepreneur, chronicles his 25 years of growth as a leader of one of this nation's most successful Ford dealership, including the turmoil and struggle of surviving the Great Recession of 2008 to 2010. And so you can imagine that in this process he learned many, many valuable lessons. And so we're going to hear from him about some of those lessons, the strategic partnerships, family friendships, and all those things that bridge boundaries and produce profound change. So it's my delight to say Hello to you, Walt Douglas, and thank you for being with us on the Dr. Geneva Speech Show. Well, Dr. Williams, I'm uh, delighted that you asked me to come on, and uh, so nice of you to ask me. Thank you. Thank you. You know, uh, Walt, I have to tell you, one of my earliest, fondest, best memories of coming to Detroit was meeting you when you were head of New Detroit's urban, first urban coalition. It was called New Detroit. And I tell you this because I was new into town, uh, didn't know a soul, had come from New Jersey, from the east, been on the east all my life, had no intention or thought of coming to Detroit, Michigan. Uh, but I met the love of my life, and he was in Detroit. I came out here. And I joined United Way, which at that time was called United Community Services. And at the time, I was the, um, the first black uh, professional, first black female. And coming into town, I was really kind of lost, not sure what to do, where to go. And you, uh, as an individual and as president of New Detroit, really reached out and uh, you know, helped me. Uh, we did uh, many, worked on many issues together, and just you and your staff team, Paul Hubbard, many individuals. So I just wanted to start this show off by sharing that with you and telling you thank you. And you know, I know I wasn't only person in Detroit that you've mentored because you've touched so many lives. And that's why I'm just so thrilled that you're with us today, particularly during Black History Month. So I just wanted to share that with you as we get started. Well, you know, I, I, I remember our meeting very distinctly. Frank Harris, uh, who was exec- the oh, deputy right. director of yes. United Community Services, called and asked if I would meet with you. You were new uh-huh. in town to kind of give you something of an orientation to the city, and I was delighted to do that. And uh, we've had a great friendship ever since that, that initial meeting. Absolutely. And you know, Walt, so what I want, you know, there's so much richness in, in your life, your career, uh, that I'd like to share with our audience. But, you know, I'd like to go back to, you know, I know you're from North Carolina. Um, tell us about your, your childhood experience, because you know what I want to, I really want to get to. I want to find out what it was, when was your aha moment? that you knew that you were going to be a leader, whether it was in business or in social activism. What happened to your childhood, during your childhood, or was there an aha moment that led you on? You know, path? I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure that there, there was. My father, my mother and father were both school teachers. My father was a principal, and he and my mother worked at the same school for most of their careers for, for something like over 40 years. But uh, this small town was a uh, a bustling town. It was a uh, it was like an airplane hub would be today, where all the crews that worked for the railroad either lived or changed trains or had overnight overnight stays, et cetera. But but the other part of it was it was midway between Miami and New York, and so uh-huh. the crews who were there yesterday were they were in New York, and tomorrow they would be in Miami and vice versa. So there's uh-huh. a lot of cultural outside influence that came to my little hometown. So when you went to church on mm-hmm. Sunday, people would talk about things that occurred in Harlem or things that occurred somewhere along the rail line in Washington, D.C. or Philadelphia or Richmond, mm. Virginia. And so I, I developed uh, a large vision of the world. My mother my mother mm-hmm. loved geography and she used to read a lot of geography and talk about the world and, and parts of it. So I knew a lot about it before I ever went to school because of the home teaching that I got. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it, it created in me something bigger than my little town. I never, I had decided by the time I started school, or high school at least, that I would never live in Hamlet, North Carolina. It wasn't big enough to hold me. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh-huh. You know, but I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew that uh, it would be something. And interesting, I, I always saw myself sitting behind the desk, never in front of the desk talking to someone, but always behind the desk, being the person who was espousing the thought or the the item or the issue or whatever. And and that's always been my view of of things. So you know, I'm I'm. Uh, I'm something of an introvert, but at the same time, I have some st- distinct feelings and vi- and visions that I have always tried to execute. Uh, and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I tried, I did it from 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 inside of myself rather than asking someone else to execute it for me. Mm-hmm. Now, do you see yourself as an introvert? Okay, that 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 would be. I guess I could perhaps that because I guess I would think about you when I hear that you being a deep thinker because one of the things that I always remember as as um, you would tackle various social issues in particular was that whatever you said it was it was obvious that you had given it some really good thought some deep thinking and the stuff you used to say would always be very profound. Is that what you mean well, yeah, by I, introvert and, and, and why you always saw yourself behind the desk? Right. I, I saw myself as an enabler, someone uh-huh. who made things happen. I, maybe I, I led from behind, kind of like a quarterback does mm-hmm. sometimes, I guess. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, as an enabler. Now I can see that. So what so as you were growing up and coming in, so you realized, you know, when you were going to high school that you you were going to be at a place bigger than uh Hamlet, North Carolina. So did you uh leave North Carolina at a 
young age after you finished high school, and tell us about your journey after high school. Well, you know, I, I went to college in North Carolina, North Carolina Central, which is a historically black college. That's where I met my wife, yes. Rita. But I majored in accounting. I was in the first accounting class ever offered by North Carolina Central because if you think about it, in the, in the mid-50s, there were limited places for African-Americans to be hired as accountants uh, or even white-collar jobs, period. But nonetheless, I started in accounting. But rather than leaving after graduation, I remained at North Carolina Central and got my master's degree. I got an MBA before Uh leaving, and that's when I met Rita. She was a junior, Mm -hmm. and I was in graduate school. Okay. I I left on the recommendation of, of one of my professors, the only CPA I'd ever met, Lincoln Harrison, Mm-hmm. I went to work at Edward Waters Junior College in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. I was okay. recruited away from there to Tuskegee Institute almost mm-hmm. the next year. But before I could tra- unpack, literally, you know, at, at Tuskegee, I was drafted into the United States Army. Oh, so uh, okay. I I went from, from, from Durham, North Carolina, to Jacksonville, Florida, to Tuskegee, Alabama, to Jackson, Jackson, Fort Jackson, South Carolina, in the Army, and then to mm-hmm. Fort Belvoir, Virginia, and to Washington, D.C. I was uh, stationed at Fort Belvoir in a Redstone missile outfit where I learned a little bit about liquid oxygen, which, which uh, was used to, to, to fuel the Redstone missiles. Then I worked mm-hmm. in the purchasing department at Walter Reed Army Medical Center for about a year and a half of my college mm-hmm of my army uh, enlistment service. And then I got out and I went to work for the IRS. Uh, okay. My start at the IRS was, yeah, my start at the IRS was not any glamorous fashion. I, I started as a clerk, a GS3 clerk. There were a mm-hmm. few jobs at the IRS for African-Americans back then, except at very low level jobs. But I passed the federal service entrance examination, which made me eligible for professional jobs and I applied for a digital computer program. That was when programming was in its infancy. That was the same time that uh, Hidden Figures was, was emerging down in, in Virginia, where those oh. ladies were uh, learning to program computers uh, in, yes. in Langdon, Virginia. I was learning mm-hmm. to program computers at the IRS at, in Washington, D.C. So, oh, so I can identify with what they were going through and, and what Absolutely. it was like and what the computers were like back then. That got me started. Uh Uh-huh. Well, we're going to wait for the the movie must be right around the corner, Walt. Hmm? I said the movie on you must be right around the corner. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I I, I didn't put anybody in space. (laughs) But I did. I I tackled some statistical problems. (laughs) That's right. And so how do you know? Go ahead. Go ahead. I, 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 was I, uh, ask, yeah, I was just going to ask, so from the IRS, from doing that incredible work there where, again, there were very few of any blacks who were doing what you were doing and traveling here and there and everywhere, um, how did you get to Detroit and the head of New Detroit? Well, uh, you know, that was in 
I started in 1959, and uh, I got promoted pretty rapidly, and I became a team leader for the corporate division section to process all the tax returns uh, for statistics of income. And the IRS, in its wisdom, uh, established an IRS data center in Detroit, Michigan, and transferred me there. So then I I came to Detroit Uh in 1966. Uh, In 66, just a year before the civil disturbance, uh, uh-huh. I, I was out. J- J- John Iron Pickett is where our offices were, and uh, I, pr- I got promoted rather rapidly. There, I became the assistant director. But the next year, uh, in 1967, when the civil disturbance occurred, I was a member of Central Methodist Church, and I got involved in all the dialogue and the the rhetoric that was going on during that period, and. Uh, during, the, during that course, met Larry Doss, who also was, was with the IRS and was my, my boss for a while. And the two of us got involved in minority economic development at ICBIF, an inner city business improvement forum with Walter McMurtry and others. Uh, so that kind of got me interested in what was happening in Detroit. Then Larry uh, went to work at New Detroit and, and he recruited me away from the IRS and I joined him in New Detroit. So we worked together for we worked together for about uh, five five years while he was president, and uh, mm-hmm. then he decided to leave to go to work for Coopers and Lyburn, and I became president. That was in '77. Ah. So okay, so that, that's I how the see. dots got connected. Yeah, I see. Well, if you're just joining us, I'm so delighted to have as my guest today, Walt Douglas. Walter Douglas, the activist entrepreneur. And we're hearing about, we've just heard about um, his growing up in a very small town uh, hamlet in North Carolina and having, learning about the world through various conversations and stories and then being a, going to historically black colleges and being a vet. Uh, a veteran uh, of the, uh, was it the Army, Air Force? What yes. was it, Walt? United States yes. Army. The United States mm-hmm. Army, and then going to the Internal Revenue Service and be- becoming a hidden figure there at the IRS, <laughs> and coming to Detroit and becoming the head of uh, New Detroit, the nation's first urban coalition. So, Walt, I want to ask you, all right, so... Let's fast forward to, so you were, you were president and CEO and ran the nation's first urban coalition, clearly a social activist agenda on one hand. And then on the other hand, you became, um, after New Detroit, a co-owner of Avis Ford, one of the top auto dealerships in the country. Compare and contrast those two career pinnacles of yours, a social activist leader and an entrepreneur leader? You know, while I was at New Detroit, I always observed uh, whites particularly tended to pigeonhole blacks, feeling that they they weren't capable of of crossing the line and running businesses or owning businesses. And uh, I never agreed with that. And, And I always wanted to uh, to use a paraphrase i wanted to sit under my own fig tree and so uh early mm-hmm. on while i was still at new detroit paul hubbard and i 
uh, formed a company, a transportation company. First, we owned taxi cabs. Then we owned the school bus company. He and I mm-hmm. jointly owned that. And uh, But that was just, I, I was testing the water to see what I could make out of it and, and what would happen. That was successful for us. And then when it was time for me to leave New Detroit, uh, obviously there were not a lot of uh, invitations from, from the big three still believing that if you're on the nonprofit side, you couldn't cross over and do the other side uh, successfully. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, when I was ready to leave, I talked to a few people. There were a few nibbles, but uh, the kinds of things that they wanted me to do, I knew didn't, re- didn't lead very, very far. And, and I was already 52 years of age. And, and before I got my feet wet, they'd be asking me to retire. Uh-huh. So I said, if I'm going to step out, on something. I'm going to do it on my own nickel and I'm going to uh, do it my way. So that's when I decided to go out and talk to the Ford Motor Company and we worked on an arrangement where I went into a training program and eventually became part owner a majority part owner of, of uh, Avis Ford Southfield. And that's mm-hmm. been a 30 year that's been a 30 year success story. Mm-hmm. I'm able now to uh, to resort, enjoy myself in Florida while my two sons Mark uh-huh. and, and Edmund run the business. Yeah, uh, isn't that so. wonderful? I mean, that mm-hmm. is that is so wonderful. Passing that family business on. So during the uh, journeys in both uh, New Detroit and your very successful uh, business, I know you you uh, learned a lot of things, had a lot of lessons. Could you share with us one or two? leadership lessons that you learned? Well, first you have to have your own vision. uh, You can share it with other people, but it's got to emanate out of you. And you've got to, like I said, you want to sit under your own fig tree, not somebody else's fig tree, but your fig tree. And that was always my approach. And uh, you you have to have a vision of it. Uh, I found that uh, I created my own visions, not while I was walking around in the daytime, but while I was in bed generally at night. I, I would think about mm-hmm. how to implement or how to go after something. And uh, by the time I'd wake up in the morning, if I had a great idea, that's what I would pursue that day. But uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's got to come from come from within. Uh, mm-hmm. You can you can observe other people doing things, and, and I did. I saw Nate Conyers as a dealer. I saw Mel Farr as a dealer. Back at that time, I saw Jim Woodruff as, as a dealer, and I said, if they can do that, I can do that. And uh, mm-hmm. that's how I how I, I fashioned my my thought process. And but that's the way I, I go about most things. I, I internalize the thought process until it's clear in my mind, and and then I seek to implement it. I try never to burn bridges in life okay. because you never know when you may have to uh, use that bridge that you just came across. And uh, so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll go along to get along. I don't let people run over me, but I don't go out of my way to harm other people. I don't, I don't do mm-hmm. vindictive things to people. I figure that you're wasting time doing that. No reason to do that. Mm-hmm. Stay in, stay on your own fig tree and let's make it. Uh-huh. So so that um, so your own vision and that never burning bridges, uh, you know, establishing those relationships and keeping those relationships intact, 
do they um did you find that those lessons work both in the nonprofit world and the business world uh about the same uh, you know okay. it's, it's harder to measure it's harder to measure results uh in 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 the nonprofit world because you don't always have a bottom line. You may you may seek out to get a piece of legislation passed, or you may seek out to to establish a, a, a food a feeding program, or you may establish some kind of a community organization. You can you can get the organization, but but the results that come out of it are not always as successful as you had hoped. That's that's the, the difficulty, the frustration of life mm-hmm. and human beings and, and, and how they act and react to, uh, mm-hmm. to all sorts of things, uh, especially uh, uh, nowadays in, in, in the political world. You, you can never, you can only play in the game. You can never execute it to perfection. You can never execute uh-huh. perfection. Okay. Of course, right. the same thing is true in the private, in the, in the public, in the private sector as well. You, you don't always execute to perfection. Sometimes you go out of business. I've had a few failures, but uh, by and large, mm-hmm. uh, I've done okay. Mhm, mhm. Mm-hmm. And and you know, as as I hear you and think about your career, so you've worked in in the three big sectors. You've worked in government or the public sector, you nonprofit, yes. and in the private yes. business sector. And yes. So yes, you've worked in all three. Uh, which one do you like best? The private sector. You can you okay, can sleep why? and not have to work sometimes. <laughs> like today, I can go to sleep and feel that uh, something economically is happening. That's putting money in my paycheck. <laughs> uh huh. Okay. So, all right. So, so you, you, you but, like but that I, I, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but seriously, when, when I when I was with the IRS. And on a fast track, I was being promoted and felt good about myself. I was very proud of what I was doing. And had had I ended up as a high government official uh, at the end of my career, I would have felt to some degree uh, satisfied. But mm-hmm. but because okay. the other two were became available to me, or I made them available mm-hmm. to me, Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I went out of my way to to pursue them. I'm very happy I did. There were times uh, after I left the IRS and uh, I was beginning my career at New Detroit, I had second guesses about whether I had done the right thing mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you know it wasn't promised. But then after a while, I never wanted to even look back. I I I, I, I focused all of my energies ahead of myself and never once gave a thought to the IRS. Okay. Uh, so you government kept, government position. Yeah. Just kept looking looking forward. So 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 what Right. You, I had I had an opportunity oh. I had an opportunity to go to work in the young administration. I did wow. take a loan position with them for a while. I was over at the police department to help uh Mayor Young reorganize the police department. Okay. But I refused okay. I refused to take a, a Part, a full-time job within within Detroit's government. I didn't want to go mm-hmm. back into government uh, after I had left it by that by the time I was at New Detroit. So, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed mm-hmm. working with uh, Mayor Young, Bill Beckham, Charlie Beckham, uh, Malcolm Dade, uh, Charlie Williams, all those people who were who were with him back then. Uh, we worked together on one thing or another. 
but I never wanted to be a part of that milieu. Yes. So, so Walt, as someone who's been a leader and successful in the three big sectors of society, government or public sector, nonprofit world, mm-hmm. and, and business, uh, the private for profit mm-hmm. world, um, what's, what's the legacy for you? What do you want people? How do you want people to remember you? Think about you. Well, I want them to to, uh, to know that that uh, I was a doer. I was a okay. giver rather than a taker. Uh, I never. Mm-hmm. I wanted to give rather than take, and I still do that. I, I still will go out of my way to help people, never mm-hmm. asking them to help me. That, that's mm-hmm. that's what I've always been. Uh, my my big legacy is my family. That's why all of mm-hmm. my children own part of the stock in Avis Ford, and I, mm-hmm. I want to enable them to make sure that they can uh, experience ownership yes. as much as I have and enjoy that. So uh, mm. I, I just, you know, I believe in, in what I call the four Fs. I believe in freedom. Freedom for everybody, okay. not just white men. I, I right. believe in family. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, in in fairness. That is, we ought to share mm-hmm. all of the economics in this world. The the top part of the world shouldn't just have everything, and the other part have nothing. I believe there ought to be fairness, and I believe in the future. I think we need to protect oh. the earth right okay. now to make sure that it's here uh, as we move ahead. So those are my four Fs that I believe in. I love it, and what a wonderful way to end this conversation. Walt Douglas, a living legend who has left us with the four Fs for success, and that last one, the future, which clearly created a path for in in the community, in this country. Thank you so much for everything, for being with Dr. Okay. Thank you, Geneva. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Dr. Geneva Speaks. Dr. Geneva Williams, an expert facilitator and leadership coach, lecturer, and keynote speaker. For more information on Dr. Geneva, visit her online at www.drgenevaspeaks.com. That's drgenevaspeaks.com.